As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Attention all listeners on this frequency, stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen. Coming from the frigid Ferndale, Washington, Medic to Medic Podcast Studios, where at least today it's in the 20s, but over the last week or so it's been in the single digits and we've had close to 24 inches of snow. And I'm telling you right now, I do miss my North Carolina roots where it was 70 degrees over Christmas and New Year's, though I heard over the last couple of days that they've gotten some snow, so I don't feel so homesick for North Carolina. But it's another episode of Medic to Medic Podcast, and that's enough about me. You can download this podcast at speaker.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Today, I am joined by Stephen Nelson, who is a current licensed paramedic with the Harris County Emergency Medical Services. It's a 911 system in Houston, Texas. This is where he was born, and this is his native home. With 15 years experience in healthcare, after his time in the hospital, of course, in, a, as a, in the Navy, we'll talk more about how he got involved in the Navy and, and more about Stephen's history. But one of the reasons why I wanted to have Stephen on, back in April, there was an article published in GEMS called, titled, My Experience as a Black Paramedic. So Stephen, welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast. Thank you so much for the introduction and thank you for having me today. I know it's been a little bit. I'm so happy that things are going uh, well with your family. And we've been trying for, I don't know, well, since probably April to get you on the podcast. And I'm glad we finally were able to do that. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So, you know, like you said, I'm a native Houstonian. I was a hospital corpsman in the Navy, which is a, a Navy medic. And, you know, once I got out, when I was in at least, and everything, you know, we didn't have any kind of training. Like the NREMT, uh, we didn't take the, the NREMT. And so when I got out, I had to go to school all over again and whatnot. 
But I knew that I still wanted to do something with emergency medicine, so I went ahead and did that. Uh, I don't know. You know. <laughs> it's hard to talk about yourself sometimes, you know. But uh, I guess I could say I uh, love to learn. I'm a life, lifelong learner. Um, I'm actually a doctoral student now, getting my doctorate in health administration, where uh, policy and advocacy is my concentration. Um, I you know, love looking at different policies, seeing what we can improve on within the nation or the world, or even just at, at my, you know, my job at Health Emergency Corps. Um, so that's kind of my niche. Well, let's go back to growing up in Houston. Um, what was it like? And talk about uh, your experience in school and what did you do for fun? Uh, so growing up, I was like um, poor, poor. But I mean, Houston, you know, it's always hot. Just like, I guess you said, North Carolina, used to those uh, 60 and 70 degree uh, Christmases and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of the same here. Um, growing up, I, you know, I was always excelled in school. Got in trouble a lot at first, and then they, I guess, realized that I had ADHD and put me on Ritalin. So uh, after that and everything, I started to focus a little bit more and make better grades and stay out of trouble. And I kind of excelled through elementary, intermediate, middle school, and high school. Um, in high school, I was in band, JRLTC, and that kind of led me to going to the Navy right out of high school. I did a leadership officer training corps at in Middle School and went into JR, Navy JRLTC. Navy JROCC in high school, and I was heavily involved in that. I knew all about the uh, rank structure of the Navy, how it operated, naval history, et cetera. Um, while I was in there, you know, I was always fascinated with, like, the medical side of things, first aid, and trauma, life in the ER was one of my favorite shows on TV, and I was always like, you know, I want to be a trauma surgeon when I grow up. And so uh, the first job that I could get in high school doing anything medical was a um, – guard position at Six Flags Splashdown, which is one of our water parks here in uh, Houston, and uh, did that, took my first CPR course, had an absolute blast with it. Uh, my instructors that actually taught the lifeguarding course, both EMTs and firefighters, so they kind of, you know, gave us a little spill on that, but I already had my mindset on going to the Navy and, uh, you know, found the job that I wanted, which was a hospital corpsman. That was the, the medical side of things where we take care of the Navy and the Marine Corps. So, um, you know, my feet wet and just started and, and, and kept going. Well, literally you got your feet wet because you're a lifeguard, right? So you're, you're already set yeah. to hit the, uh, the Navy <laughs> and on the ship. What's it like when you first started in the Navy and how long were you in the Navy? I did four years in the Navy. It was like extremely easy. Like boot camp was, um, similar to some, uh, summer training, summer camps that I had went to while I was in uh, RLTC in middle school, or I'm sorry, in high school. And so I was very, you know, structured, knew how to shine boots, I knew how to iron my uniform, do military creases, um, you know, all of the regular regulations, um, drills, marking. So all of that just came to me so easily and everything. And I actually excelled in boot camp. I was the uh, guide on. That was only because I was short, but I think I was like one of the best if I could say, you know, someone else. But, um, it was like it was really easy in Navy boot camp, and then after we did that, uh, to my A school, which is hospital core school, which is in Great Lakes, as well as you know boot camp was in Great Lakes as well. Um, it was fun. I met a lot of friends. We uh, you know studied together. My instructors were absolutely amazing. I still keep in touch with one of them to this day. I mean, he you know checks on me regularly because he's a, he's a PA now, but he was a hospital corpsman as well in that, during that time. And uh, you know in school. I went to my first command, which was in Great Lakes, unfortunately, at Naval Hospital Great Lakes. 
then I went to uh, Balboa Hospital in San Diego. I finished off at uh, Miramar, which is also right outside of San Diego at a uh, Marine Station. What were some of the duties that you had to perform? It was mostly all uh, emergency medicine. Um, I did go to a C school, which is like a sub-school of uh, the medical side, which was dental, because I just didn't want to be a regular uh, corpsman or what we call quad zero corpsman, um, because they can literally, you know, ask you to do any job. So I wanted to have like some type of specialization or whatever outside of just doing medical. So dental was my my C school. And uh, other than you know being in the clinic or when like uh, some type of combat training to prepare us, like if we had to you know get deployed. Uh, dental was my primary job, and it was it was just fun, you know. Um, Chairside dentistry, um, ortho. I really excelled in X-ray. Um, I spent most of my time in X-ray and everything because I was good at it. And that's where they wanted to keep me. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a good time. <laughs> I mean, I, I think people think when they think military, they think that people's yelling in your face all the time, and that and it's really not that. It's more so uh, that was like in boot camp, maybe yeah, but. When you get to your job, it's just like a regular job out here on the streets. You wake up, go to work, uh, do your job, come back home and do whatever you want. Make sure you report to work the next day. You enjoyed your time in the Navy. Did you think about maybe making that a career? And we know you haven't made it as a career. Why did you not make it a, a career? So when I was in, I was like heavily involved in education. I wanted to go to school full time, but... Anybody in the military will tell you that they always say the needs of the Navy or the needs of the Marine Corps or Army or whatever, they come first, right? And so it took me a very, very long time to get my uh, first associate, and I'm like, this is crazy. You know, I see on, like, uh, MySpace at the time that, you know, all of my classmates were doing well. They are in college, you know, partying and having a good time. I mean, I was doing the same thing, but I guess I wanted that college experience, right? And that's kind of what I sought after. I couldn't have that while I was in the in the military and the Navy and everything because, like I said, the needs of the Navy came first. And so I could only take, like, maybe one or two classes a semester. And if I had to, like, go uh, somewhere for training, like Mississippi or something like that, I would have to, you know, stop my courses and everything because some of them were on base. But in a classroom on base, and I would, you know, miss too many. Some of them were actually uh, at the College of Lake County campus in Grace Lake, Illinois, and so, you know, missed too many classes and wouldn't have to drop that course and everything. Maybe did pay for it, but it was still something that I really wanted to pursue. So I got out of the Navy and everything. My, the first thing that was on my list was, you know, going to school and, and you know, getting that type of experience and getting that, uh, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This experience, you know, just living the, the college life and everything. And, you know, I was a little older, but at the same time, it was still fun. And I just wanted to, you know, enjoy not having to do someone tells me to do like all the time and be subject to uh, all of the rules and regulations of the military. So I just wanted freedom in a sense. Talk about the adjustment from military life to civilian life. Okay, so it was definitely a little tough because, you know, I was so military-minded at the time and moved back home to Houston. And it was like, uh, I don't see a lot of uniforms around here. I think I stayed here for maybe a year or so. And then I moved to Virginia, to Virginia Beach. And I was dating someone and everything, so it was fine. It was uh, definitely a military town because uh, Norfolk is uh, one of, uh, another major base for the Navy, especially in the United States. So it was very much a military town. They understood everything, uh, great VAs. I could still, you know, have access to the base. You know, and just I just wanted to do some type of segue without just, like, stopping 
I guess it's like a, an addiction and you stop cold turkey. You get like an itch and be like, okay, I can't do this. What the hell, what's going on? So I just uh, moved to a military town, slowly kind of progressed into a civilian style life before moving back home to Houston. And that was it. Before we get into your EMS interest in career and paramedic school and uh, everything you've achieved in your EMS career, why is education so important to you? It was something that my family stressed a lot while my sisters and I were growing up. Like my dad, he never went to college. Uh, my mom, she went at a, I think in her 40s, she went to school. So it was, it was just something that they continued to stress to us that, you know, the importance of having a college degree, the importance of education, you know, telling us that edu- no matter what we have um, or didn't have, education is something that can never be taken away from us. And so I, I was like, I thought about that and I'm like, you know what, you're absolutely correct. So you know, you could take anything that I have, all of the materialistic stuff and everything, but knowledge and education is something that's going to be with me forever. And so that's something that I wanted, and I cherish that um, because of that reason. It's interesting, and it's kind of ironic that when we're growing up, we don't really listen to our parents, but how much influence they do have on us. Uh, I can relate uh, with my dad and my mom, too, about education, because when I became a paramedic I did not have a degree and my parents were really nervous about me uh, taking on this career they did say you need to go get your education because they can't take that away from you mm-hmm. and you should get your mm-hmm. bachelor's degree and, and I actually did and do that and it did open up a whole bunch of doors for me in my EMS career right. so it's it's interesting and how our parents you know you, you don't yeah I don't really need the education I'm gonna be a paramedic I'll be able to retire I was working for the city of Pittsburgh etc but it was important, and I did listen to them. Maybe not back then, I wasn't thinking about it, but as I've been in this career for 40-plus years now, it was the right advice. Yeah, and I would also say, I think just because of our upbringing and because we didn't have a lot, you know, I think they wanted us to have more, and they wanted us to excel more and just have what they didn't have, you know? So I think that was another reason they really stressed that um, and just not being you know, mediocre or into the traps of, of what some of the uh, lower income places in Houston, you know, subject you to, like, uh, I don't want to say gangs or anything like that, because I don't think we have a real big gang problem here in Houston, but definitely like drugs and, and, and things of that nature. And I don't think they wanted that for us. And so they really wanted us to uh, get out of that, uh, not be subject to that lifestyle at all. I think education was a very good uh, way to to do that and everything. Like you said, opened up a lot of doors for us. You did mention that you liked emergency medicine and EMS when you were in the Navy. But how did you really become interested in emergency medical services? Uh, With EMS and everything, it was just something that I could compare what I really wanted to do and some of the the things that I did while I was in the Navy and everything. So it was just something I knew, something I was good at and everything. And I was just like, this is my job this is the the thing that i want to do and you know when i started like didn't make a lot of money but like i said my motto is providing service without expectation and so i was like you know i can live off of five dollars five twenty five an hour and make it work and everything because that's what i had to do i guess that's what i was accustomed to growing up and everything so i'm like you know what i'm going to be helping people and in their worst time of need for them at least and it's just my satisfaction is just making sure that everyone else is okay and, you know, my therapist told me that I need to stop giving so much of myself to other people because it did, like, kind of bring me down and put me in some other bad mental situations. I think I have 
prone to do like a 50-50 and that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to help people and I think using my skills and my knowledge and talents and everything with medicine was one of the ways I could do that and EMS is just was too easy for me to not go after it, right? And I, I thought about doing nursing school and I actually started prerequisites for nursing school. I had a, like a 4.0 GPA when I applied, had passed the HESI and I guess it was some other people that maybe had done better than I, but I didn't get accepted into uh, nursing school the first time. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try something else and everything. And I saw that they had a uh, EMT, a paramedic program at the same college and everything. And so that I'm like, you know what, I can do this. And if I still want to do nursing school after that, it'll be a one-year transition with the same school and everything, and I'll be set up. When I got into EMS and everything, I loved everything about it. And I was like, you know what, through nursing school, this is what I want to do. Very interesting because... I got accepted to nursing school, and I was supposed to start nursing school, and then the city of Pittsburgh offered me a job in EMS, and I took that job, and I don't regret that. The only thing I do kind of regret is that I did not go back to nursing school just to have the RN behind my name. I think that might have opened up a little mm-hmm. bit more doors for me, but I don't. Re- it's not too much of a regret, but uh, especially right. because it would have been nice to have... Uh, plus, the nursing education is really intense, and it probably would have made me, mm-hmm. I think it might have made me uh, have a better understanding, at least in my early days, of patient assessment and more detail, mm-hmm. and, you know, which grew yeah. over my years. So, who knows? But, you know, I, I don't cry over it, And but you know, very similar, right? I decided to go to EMS route, right. just, just like you. How hard was it for you? I mean, because... And one of the challenges that there is in emergency medical services, the inclusion, the cultural differences, and the African-American presence in emergency medical services. Talk about your experience going to school. How was it for you? And some of the you know, roadblocks, if you had any, and how you overcame them. Um, so sure. Uh, when I was in paramedic school and everything, it was, I don't want to say like a culture shock and everything, because I'm used to kind of being... Sometimes, like, the only black guy in my little group or just like, whatever, I'm, you know, I'm here. But it was kind of difficult. Some of the roadblocks that I hit was basically talking about, like, politics and everything. And I hate to talk about politics around people and everything because sometimes, like, we could be the closest of friends who just don't share the same, you know, interest in politics. And I hate for those type of uh, arguments to turn into – those type of conversations to turn into arguments and whatnot. And so it's a quick way to kind of lose a friend or something like that. But there were, like, shootings and stuff like of unarmed black people, and I heard some of my classmates talking about that and how he deserved it or he should have did X, Y, and Z. And so when I would, like, try to interject and say, like, well, you guys are, like, kind of going to blame on the victim here and everything, you don't even know this man's life story, it would turn into another argument and stuff like that. And so after, like, having a lot of those conversations or about anything that we just disagreed on, I just started to be quiet, right? Um, I would keep in contact or talk to a few friends that I had in paramedic school. And other than that, I would come to school, take my notes, answer questions, and go home. Um, I was really good at taking notes, really good at, like, the, uh, prepping myself as, as well as other people, uh, providing those people with the, with my study session notes and whatnot, and, and just excelling. And so I think closer to the end of paramedic school, I think people started to notice that and you really started to come to me and like, hey, listen, can you study with me or whatever, or help me out on such and such because I don't understand this or whatever. And, and I'm still open to doing that, you know. Just because we share differences, I just I don't believe it's just something that you can just give up on and just say I don't want to deal with you anymore. 
but that was like a, one of the major things or whatever, just me just being quiet and I'm not really much of a quiet person. Cause so it kind of put me in a turtle shell when I was in school and everything and really didn't, I wasn't myself. And uh, getting, coming out of that and everything, going to my first job, it was the same, same thing. There were only three black people uh, at that job and it was a, a really large company. I was just surprised by that. And uh, my first partner, same thing. She wouldn't understand a lot of the things that I want to, that I, you know, my mindset on what I thought about something and why I thought about it that way, because it, it was just very different. You know, a lot of people just don't experience things, especially when you work in like a rural area, um, just don't have that, that luxury of experiencing different cultures, knowing how to talk to people of different cultures and ethnicities and, and, and that nature. So when I would talk to maybe like a, a black uh, patient, I can talk to them how I would talk to my mom or my sisters. I would be perceived as being rude or unprofessional, but that's how patients would be receptive to what I'm saying and, and hearing me out or, you know, anything. But I kind of, I guess I just overcame that just by just not saying anything. And just my, you know, my mom would say, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. And I, I just kind of took her advice and just, you know, finished paramedic school. And, and that was that. But I mean, it's, it's still a little different sometimes, but in these days and everything, I feel way you know, much more comfortable and uh, speaking out, uh, not remaining quiet. Supervisor now that I have or whatever, he's very pro me about you know speaking out on, on certain things. It doesn't matter if it's our uh, EP of clinical services or the medical director. We have uh, several conversations. We're actually like really good. Uh, I won't say friends, but <laughs> we work really well together. But, I mean, I guess it's kind of overcame it just knowing and knowledge and and just cutting back to who Stephen is. Why do you think there is a lack of African Americans entering the world of EMS? I would say this, when we grow up and everything, we are kind of taught to fear <laughs> police officers and be sheltered when we see lights and sirens. Um, and so I, I just think that not ed- educated enough on a fire EMS or, um, or police, right? And so it just, I think it's just a fear and that this comes from a stigma of, you know, always seeing the police officers taking somebody to jail or not really helping out um, the African-American community. And, uh, it, I think, and I really think that's just what it is, to be honest. I've been working with, uh, you call it HBCUs, my HBCU, uh, Texas Southern University, talking to one of my old professors there, who is actually uh, the director of the um, administration program and about like EMS and everything and what we bring to the table and how increasing the numbers of African-Americans and Hispanics in this, uh, in this industry can actually help other patients. I, I really think that's just, just, it's just a lack of education and a, and a fear of, not knowing uh, what it is, actually. Leads me to my next question. You know, how do we change this? You said about education. So how do we go about mm-hmm. doing this type of education? Like I said, I, I've been talking to uh, program directors at Texas Southern University, and I put this in my article as well. One of the ways we can actually increase the numbers of minorities in EMS, especially with black people and everything, is putting EMS programs at HBCUs, at historically black colleges and universities. Um, and, and that's going to be, op- you know, it'll open the door the possibilities of these uh, of you know, black people uh, getting into the field and everything. They say if they see it at HBCU, they'd be like, "Oh, I could be a paramedic and everything." This is something that I might be interested in working on an ambulance and providing care to people and everything. But I don't see a lot of those in you know in my area or whatever. I could be one. You know, and I, that's just one way. I think another way would be something uh, like that the National Association of EMTs did, which is offering scholarships to those minority people and everything to help 
the uh, the numbers. I think they just started that that scholarship, if I'm not mistaken, last year, um, offering scholarships to uh, minority students and everything to increase those numbers. My job actually had talked to me about writing like a, a scholarship protocol, if you will, uh, for the people in our area that we service, and it's heavily either, uh, black and brown people. Because um, after they read my article, I guess they could kind of take a look in the mirror say, wow, we, you know, he's right about this and everything. We really don't have much representation when it comes to African-Americans um, at our workplace and everything, so let's do something about it. And, uh, my president actually came up to me and said, like, hey, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about, and, uh, you know, if you're open to it, I'd like to, you know, use you and everything and help him write the policy for this and everything so we can start giving a scholarship annually to um, people in our area. And uh, it kind of feeds back into them us, you know what I mean? Because you'll be servicing the population that of the area that you grew up in. And that's exactly what I'm doing because I grew up in the area that I service currently. Before we get to the article and some questions about that, tell us a, a little bit about the organization you work for and what you are doing. I'm a, I am a uh, in-charge paramedic uh, with Harris County Emergency Corps. It's a private nonprofit, 911 service here in the northern uh, Houston area. Uh, most of us Inner city and everything is uh, the fire department, Houston Fire Department, but all of the outside counties and whatnot are, you know, private, private services and whatnot. Harris um, County Mercy Corps, I think, is like maybe one of the best, if not the best, in the Houston area. We have a really good name for ourselves out here. Uh, we offer almost every class you can think of. It's, it's a class that they actually require us to take. And sometimes, even if it isn't something that they require, they'll pay for it and they pay us to take it. Um, they offer a lot of bonuses to get people to stay. Uh, I think we get like three or four bonuses a year. We just got a really big raise here. We have uh, top-of-the-line equipment. Look uh, at three devices on every truck, vents on every truck, um, IV pumps on every truck. And it's not like some shoddy IV pumps or shoddy vents and everything. It's like really nice equipment. Um, and we get new trucks from our uh, emergency service district, our ESD board annually. We never have like old trucks just running on the street. Um and it, it, like I said, it's a really, really great place to work because we do definitely value diversity. And uh, we have, you know, gay, lesbian, trans, straight, uh, black, brown, Asian. It just made me feel comfortable when I came to work here eight years ago. I just felt like I was at home. You know, it was something that I could just breathe in. And, just, you know, and I think for that reason, it's really allowed me to grow as a paramedic and just kind of... Uh, open to just anything really uh, you know I just I can't sing praise enough for that place and everything because it's just a, it's, it's that amazing when people see the black ambulances pulling up or the black uniforms and everything and they know like okay we know that patient is going to be taken or what's taken care of we don't have to you know worry about what they did or didn't do or what type of mistakes were made because we do have uh, really great training you know a trimester continuing education our medical director is heavily involved in our uh, training also a um, an attending at the Moore Trauma Center here in Houston, Ben Todd. So he's very uh, research-oriented and evidence-based, uh, medicine-oriented. So he keeps us up to date on a lot of things that are happening in medicine, in emergency medicine, and specifically EMS. So. How did the article come about? I was actually bored <laughs> at work. I was in between classes, so I, I had finished a course and everything. And I'm just so used to, I guess, writing papers all the time. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you know all about that and everything with education, especially the higher you go, it's more research and whatnot. And so I was at work. Um, it was a slow day at work, and I was just like, I can't just sit around and not do anything. 
And so I just started to write. One thing turned into another, and I kept writing. I'm like, oh, wow, this is basically about how, you know, what I am as a paramedic, as a black paramedic and whatnot. And I'm like, I should share this and everything. But I'm like, this is, like, kind of too long to share. And so I'm like, I wonder if I, if a journal would actually publish this. So I kind of reworked it, like, kind of put it into the format that you that you've seen online and start looking at different journals and everything. And so I was like, you know what, this would be a good thing for uh, gyms. <laughs> so I started looking at gyms and the gyms looked for and uh, publishing and whatnot. Got some feedback from a paramedic that is in San Antonio. He has a training center there that we go to for uh, Diver Lab. And um, he looked at it. He's like, this is a great article. Like, this is something that needs to be talked about because it's very taboo. No one really wants to say anything. And, you know, if you're willing to do this and everything, you, you might be getting a lot of heat from people, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's going to start some conversation. And these are the type of conversations that we need to have. And so he gave me some feedback on it, told me to add more to certain areas. And um, and that was it. I sent it to gyms and uh, they didn't have any corrections or anything. And they asked me when I wanted it to be published. The initial date was... Um, wasn't it April? I think it was before April, but they had to. I think it was another COVID thing had come out and everything, and they wanted to um, push that really hard and everything. And asked me if I could like hold up. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. This doesn't matter to me. But that's how I like actually got into just writing this article, like just being bored at work and not having anything to do, and just started writing. What kind of feedback did you get from the people that read it? Yeah, I haven't gotten any negative feedback actually president, the CEO at my job and everything, he really enjoyed it, the vice president of operations, uh, VP of clinical services, my medical director, my supervisor, and then it has, like, opened the door for a lot of me to, I mean, open the doors for talk, right? Um, like, with you reaching out to me, I've uh, also been involved in another research project with uh, another doctoral student um, who actually came to Houston to interview me. I was uh, fortunate to be on a global resilience summit this year to talk about to talk about it. Um, no one has really, you know, had given me any type of negative feedback. I also got a, a reached out from uh, this lady at the NAMT. She told me that, you know, my article was amazing. And she said that, you know, asked me if I knew about a scholarship opportunity. I'm like, no, I never heard of it. So she told me to apply for the scholarship. Um, I think I only had like three days to get it in or two days or something like that. I just applied after I got off the phone with her and I ended up getting that scholarship and everything. So, you know, it's helping me out financially with school. And, you know, I just, I, I never thought that it would go this far. I really did not just thought, okay, I'm going to write something. And, you know, them said that they'll publish it. I, I mean, I kind of knew that it would get some people talking, but I didn't think that it would go this far just based off of one article. You know, mentoring is a big part of your well-being and how you want to do things. You like to mentoring people. What advice would you give to uh, a new paramedic that, uh, now, you you face a bunch of challenges, right? Being black, also being gay, which, you know, it's, mm -hmm. you know that, that had to be difficult uh, uh, as well. Uh, and what kind of advice would you give to a new uh, paramedic student? You know, I always tell the people, I say, don't be mediocre. Don't be complacent. And the complacency thing is a big thing to me because it's just something that I just don't believe in, right? Because if you have time to sit around and do nothing, you could be doing something. You could be learning a new skill. Uh, you could be going to school um, and getting more knowledge about your field. Um, just learning as much as you can about the job that you're doing. That's that's one thing that I always say. Just don't be mediocre and don't be complacent. Because that's when we start to, uh, you know, get burnt out. Because we're, it's just falling to a routine of doing the same thing over and over. 
and nothing excites you anymore about the field. And so you want to venture out or you don't provide the, the best care to the patient and everything that, that deserves it. If you're always continuing to learn, you're going to continue to learn something that might actually save uh, one of your patients' life. So that's the main advice that I always give people is don't be complacent and don't be mediocre. Make sure you do something that, you, you know, stand out and show off your talents and everything because I definitely think being in EMS, whether it be an EMT or paramedic, it's, a, it's an art, it's a talent because not everybody can do it, right? So um, if you just continue to excel and, and you know, not not be complacent like some, some of the people that I've actually seen and everything, you won't fall into the pits of, uh, well, I hope that you don't fall into the pits of the burnout that we have currently going on right now. Did you have any difficulties being be, going to paramedic school or an EMT school? We know that you had some challenges uh, you know, because you were African-American, um, but how about the gay component? Were there any difficulties there? Uh, so, I mean, I've been out for a very long time, but I think in paramedic school, I kind of sheltered it until I felt comfortable enough telling someone that was just, that was really, because I, you know, I was afraid. I didn't know how we perceived. It's easy, I, well, I, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think it's easier for women to be lesbians and be in school and everything and more accepting than it is for a man to, you know, be gay, especially a black male and everything to be gay. So um, I just kind of protected myself in that respect and everything until I knew that someone was like really comfortable with me. We, you know, we had really grown to be, become friends and everything. And uh, so I don't, I, can't say that I really had obstacle there because I just didn't really show it or uh, invite people into my in my space in that respect. Thinking back, would you change that? Now, yes, <laughs> because it's, like I said, I'm just <laughs> yeah. It's easy to it's easy to look back and say, yeah, I would change this. Yeah, I, I guess right. that was kind of a not a really good question. I'm sorry about that, but you know, it You're just. Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if I would have done, I made a right turn here instead of making a left-hand turn there, I might have made it right. to my destination, you know, 45 minutes earlier. Then, uh, yeah, I, I get right. it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that part. What do you do for fun when you have time? I guess you know, between school and work and everything else. So I have uh, my best friends and our we we like to travel. We go somewhere at least every three months. And then in September is birthday month and everything, and we always find, uh, we go out of the country for our birthday and everything. And so traveling is definitely one of the things, and, you know, just doing different excursions or something that's really daredeviling uh, is, you know, another thing while we're on trips and, and stuff or whatever. I, I like to skydive. Definitely an extensive hobby. <laughs> and with my family, we like to bowl. Um, I just actually went bowling with my sister a couple of days ago. We're pretty decent and everything, so it makes for a really good competition. My best friend Sarah, she she loves to bowl as well and everything, so she uh, she gives me a run for my money sometimes. But I mean, other than that, love to cook and specifically, I love to bake. Do you have a favorite dish you like to bake? Brownies. Oh, I love brownies. Yeah. <laughs> I love brownies. Yeah, I love brownies too. Throw some ice cream, with some uh, hot fudge on it. Oh, I'm there. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You might not know that I have a side business, and since you opened it up, I have to let you know that I am a destination planner, and I give a lot okay. of good deals to healthcare providers, and keep me in mind, Magical Destinations by Steve. I really enjoyed reading the article. I'm glad we were able to connect and have you come on the podcast. As your career progresses, feel free to reach out, and maybe come back on and tell, give us an update on how you're doing. And I wish you the best. I wish your mom the best. And Stephen, thank you very much much. for joining me on my podcast.
Yeah, I'm so sorry. It took so long. <laughs> no, no, no need to apologize. But thank you very much for joining me on my podcast. You as well. Thank you for having me. You have a great day. You too. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.